Hello and welcome back to the Brew Who podcast, episode nine this week. Uh, you're joined by Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. We finally, finally have some actual basketball to break down, kind of, I guess, if you count preseason basketball like that. But thankfully, I'm joined by two basketball aficionados who also subjected themselves to the preseason game so far and uh, broke down the uh, various small bits of footage we have from Ames, Iowa, that we're still not sure if an actual game was played or not. But joined by Mitchell Maurer, fellow managing editor of BrewHoop.com, and Kyle Carr. How are you fellas doing tonight? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Uh, it's good to have basketball back, even if it is preseason. And I'll take it. I'll take it. The last few months were boring, so... <laughs> yeah, that was kind of... I. That was my attitude. I was just ready to at least have a game back. And I don't think we honestly could have asked for the first game back to go any better than an absolute pummeling of the Chicago Bulls, 116 to 82 in that first game. Of course, Milwaukee then also beat down on the Timberwolves in Iowa, 125-107, lost that undefeated preseason just the other night in Oklahoma City in that OT barn burner that we all stayed up for, 119 to 115. So I'm going to give it to you first, Mitchell. I mean, what are your, we really only have one viable game to break down actual tape from, but what are just some of your general takeaways so far? Well, the biggest thing that I'm getting from the preseason is that Bud, Mike Budenholzer, was talking the talk when he got hired. And all throughout the offseason, the organization was saying all the right things about what they wanted to do with the offense, what they wanted to do with the defense. Uh, but he's walking the walk as well, which matters because that's something that is going to actually translate into regular season success and more wins and deeper playoff runs. The offense looks like it has a sense of purpose, which I, I don't remember the last time that we really had that in Milwaukee. The defense is, you know, it's preseason, so the defense is probably going to take a little bit longer to catch up to where the offense is right now. But everybody is moving deliberately, which is just a wonderful change from what we have become used to over the last couple of years. And, um, and everybody seems engaged. Everybody seems bought in, largely. Um, the fact that the team was able to rest so many of their key players in the third preseason game against Oklahoma City is a good sign because that means that the coaching staff has enough of their stuff figured out about who they are and who they want to be and what they want to do that they can devote some of that time to the uh, second half of the roster and they kind of put people in other positions to see what they have and see what they have to offer, particularly the uh, quartet that's battling for the 15th roster spot. And uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun because they're no longer just meandering around. Yeah, we'll certainly touch on that hotly, hotly debated last roster spot later. And I think the the thing that stood out to me, and I didn't follow Oklahoma City's other preseason games, was that they you know they still had their starting lineup out there for a good chunk of time, even against the Bucks backups. And I, I know, granted, they lost Russell Westbrook, so they're probably trying to integrate Schroeder and all that kind of stuff. But and it was their last preseason game, so maybe they're using it as a final tune-up. But I mean, it says something that at least the Bucks backups still. You know, stood with them after the first quarter. The Bucks were actually up thirty to twenty-seven. So, Kyle, what has stood out to you from these uh, these preseason games so far? I think the biggest thing I saw offensively was kind of like what Mitchell was saying that it had a purpose. Um, the ball was moving, and it was actually moving to get good looks, to get 
you know, players in position compared to, you know, last year when I was like, you're pretty much only moving the ball because you couldn't get to the hoop or you didn't have a shot. And you're kind of just like letting it die with within your hands. But now it's like even an extra pass looks great. Uh, I kind of joke that seeing a modern offense is a brand new thing for Bucks fans. And while the rest of the NBA is like, yeah, this we've been doing this for years. You guys need to catch up. Um, I think also just seeing how much deeper the team is. Um, you kind of see it with, you know, you see Lopez and Ursan coming in. And while they kind of replace Jabari and some other departing players, you just see that that kind of trickles down. So now you're going to have John Henson and Thon Maker able to come off the bench. Um, you can have Tony Snell and Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo. You know, you can have all these players that justifiably deserve minutes. And, you know, that's going from one to eight, seven, eight, nine range, which is better than what we had last year when it was only probably one through six that you felt comfortable and trusted. So I think just seeing how much deeper the roster is, is going to be that it's a great sign. I know the defense still has to work itself out, but at least offensively, it looks like this team is already getting it. And we're only what, two, three weeks in the training camp. So it's positive signs. Yeah. The thing I think that stood out most to me from what Mitchell said was the, the purposeful thing. So there's that, there was that possession in that first game against Chicago where it's, it, you know, went all around Twitter, but you know, Chris Middleton's up at the top of the arc and, and Brooke Lopez, you know, sets a screen for him. Middleton feeds Lopez, Lopez feeds it out to Bledsoe. And who feeds it to Giannis, who feeds it to Middleton for the three. But the thing that stood out most to me about that was that it was Eric Bledsoe and Ersan Ilyasova. Like the first thing they do when they run down the court while Chris Middleton has the ball is that they go directly to the corners, right where Budenholzer had put those blue squares. So they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. Ersan, I'm not surprised by that. He's been on Bud's system for a while. But Bledsoe is a guy who's known for freelancing, known for someone who might kind of be sliding out of position or trying to do his own thing. And the fact that he's not a, an amazing three-point shooter uh, and a guy who probably likes to have the ball in his hand. Uh, I think that I think that bodes well for what he might be able to do in Bud's system if he's able to play within himself that way, because he was able to stand there for the whole possession, wait for the ball to be fed to him from Lopez, and then that eventually led to the extra passes that gave Middleton at the top of the arc. So that sort of purposeful, defined roles that Bud has talked about with his with his systemic approach seems like it's really, really the thing that's standing out most to be so far. Um, Mitchell, I'm I'm curious though. So. You know, Giannis and Bledsoe Middleton obviously get the most talk when it comes to Bud's system. But right. do you think those are the kind of guys who are going to benefit most, even though they're already like really talented? Or do you think one of these like guys who are just a bit smaller are going to be able to talent, you know, get the most benefit out of it? I guess that really depends on how you determine ben- like what, you, what your definition of benefit and how you choose to measure it is. Like Bud historically has been a very team first guy. He came up for a long time in the Spurs organization when the Spurs were like just at the beginning of and in the prime of their incredibly long run as one of the elite teams in the NBA. Uh, but then when he went to Atlanta, it was more the same. It was very team first. You know, you remember that year that they won 60, they had four all-stars that year and which, which is not what you would have expected given the talent that was on the team, but it, it definitely was, was one of those things where uh, what's the what's the old played out phrase where a rising tide raises all ships? Mm-hmm. But I think that's the sort of thing that's sort of approach that Bud takes when he builds his uh, builds his systems and you know has his guys go out and play basketball. In terms of benefits, <sighs> I mean Giannis is who he is. He's the focal point. He's the fulcrum. He's the guy that everything revolves around. I, I guess it's sh- everything that. Budenholzer is putting into place should make his job 
it won't make Giannis's job harder. It should make Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe's jobs easier. Uh, and the fact that they did, to Kyle's earlier point, they did invest in the depth of the team. They have more capable players that are able to take on meaningful minutes and keep the momentum of the game in check and not get blown out as uh, as teams of years past have been because the talent disparity was just too big when you went to the second and third units. Um, you know, the guys that are there, I think it's just really a matter of, of playing their role. And uh, it, I hate using the cliche, but I think the team as a whole is going to benefit more than any one individual. At least that's the way that I'm looking at it. Kyle, do you, uh, do you have a different perspective or do you sort of align with Mitchell? I guess, you know, I kind of feel like everyone's going to benefit just because a lot of these players have had, you know, at least one season and, you know, some like Giannis and Chris and Henson, they've had, you know, three, four years of Jason Kidd's system. So just having a new system is going to benefit everyone. But in terms of players in particular, I think, I think Bledsoe is going to be one. He seems to just having more ball movement, having more lanes open for him is going to help him a lot. And I think having a coach that can drive him, a competent coach for once in his career is going to help. Um, you know, if John Henson actually continues shooting threes and his form doesn't look that bad, he might be someone that could also benefit greatly. And the only thing is, will he actually play? Um, otherwise, I can see all the wing guys, you know, Snell, Brown, Dante, Connaughton, I see them possibly reaping the benefits of it just because it seems like with this offense, everyone's going to get their shots. So if you're able to get your shots and no start falling, it's going to help tremendously. Yeah, actually, really quick, I want to jump in on uh, one thing you mentioned, Kyle, with John Henson. Um, are you guys ready for an irresponsibly hot take that I probably shouldn't no. utter, but I'm going to? I'm 100% not ready. That irresponsibly hot take that Adam might not be ready for and the world isn't ready for, and honestly, my own brain wasn't ready for, uh, about John Henson. Uh, Brooke Lopez is going to be the starter. And the only way that this could even come to pass is if he missed significant time, which I don't want. Nobody wants. But given what we know about the other bigs on the roster, you know, Tyler Zeller is very much a break in break glass in case of emergency center. He's fine, but he's limited. Fawn hasn't really shown a lot. Christian Wood, if he makes the roster, has played a lot of four, not so much five. Uh, you know, Urson is definitely a power forward, but can play small ball center, but not in big minutes. So that really leaves, it would leave John Henson to pick up a lot of those pieces. And he is a decent rim protector. He is a bizarrely competent offensive player, despite not having a ton of skill. He's going to shoot threes, like you said earlier. And he's sneakily a good passer, so he does a lot of interesting things on offense, despite the fact that most Bucks fans don't think he's that good. Um, he could like he could make some real strides this year if he buys in and executes to Bud's system. And it's just I can see him coming out of nowhere and having this like really impactful campaign this year. Whew. I sorry, I just I got to wipe the sweat off my brow. I was really scared where that was going to go, and it came. It landed in an okay place. Um, I want a whole glass of wine, prepare myself to <laughs> drink and forget that you said that. But that, that was it. when when I started that journey, 
my goal was to work myself up to advocating that John Henson could be a dark horse, most improved player candidate. But as I was talking, oh, see, that's that's the thing. As I was as I was saying the words, like like my body started to recoil, (laughs) and like I got sick to my stomach a little bit because like I knew it was wrong. But it's it's wild, and I I guess the the wild unbridled optimism of a successful preseason so far campaign um, has just gone way to my head. Ooh. Well, I'm proud. I'm I'm proud of you for for taking that thing up into the upper atmosphere and then wisely maybe bringing it back down into uh, and landing it in a smooth place. I you know I think um, John Henson's form looks okay. I still think it looks like st- like stiff as a board and like it's like um like a weird like almost like a Pez dispenser flipping back or something like the head flipping back. It's so it's so mechanical. He I mean, also it's still misses bellies. So yeah, <laughs> well, I. Yeah, I guess, but there's go in. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if you know, hey, shout hey, out to Lockdown. If, if three, okay. There's <laughs> something there. <laughs> what were you saying, Mitchell? It was if Brogdon and Delhi have those revolutionary war era muskets because it t- the release takes so long. Like, what do we? Is is John Henson's release like a like a trebuchet or something? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right. I'll take that one then. Yeah, it's, it's hey, out. It's hey, out there. Trebuch- Trebuchets won a lot of wars way back in the day. Yeah, I'll tell you that. Yep, yep. And I think, um, I think that's where his usefulness might stay. You know, he, he I think he's going to be. <laughs> I think he's going to be fine. He's looked interesting in the preseason. I've long been an advocate of his passing. Uh, I think that's been interesting. I liked the play where he was spaced out at the top of the arc uh, the other night. And then he was able to actually make like a really strong rim run and finish really quickly. And, but because he was way up there, he was able to actually space the floor and draw defenders away as opposed to just kind of sitting around the paint and it makes it a really hard pass for Giannis to have to navigate. And Lopez is easy, makes it easy for him to guard two people. Um, it, and you know, if, Lo, if Lopez gets hurt, I mean, I think John Henson's going to have to play like a really pivotal role and i like i think going back to what you were talking about mitchell in terms of the rising tide lifting all boats hopefully henson is one of those guys who uh who continues along that way um so i think the i think the other main preseason discussion point obviously should be around the the final roster spot which i i I think sort of took center stage in the game last night in particular where all the starters were sitting and you sort of had this uh, triumvirate of, of Christian Wood and Tyler Zeller and eventually Tim Frazier sort of all vying for and showing off what they did, well, why they might deserve the 15th spot or why they shouldn't. So but let's obviously start with the guy that most people want to talk about, which is Christian Wood. Kyle, what has stood out to you from preseason so far from Christian Wood? I think his energy. I think it's it's just something like when what he about his up. effort. No, 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 stop. Yes, tell, tell us about his effort that goes <laughs> along with that energy, Kyle. There, there, there is effort, but we're not going down that dark place. I'm trying to have a positive outlook this season, and any Jason <laughs> reference is going to tarnish that. Anyway, yeah, um, I'm sorry. I appreciate I, the effort, Kyle. <sighs> All right, I'm going to take a sip of wine, and then I'm going to explain this. So, Christian Wood has come in, and it just looks like he's someone that has this bounce that has this agility he just looks like someone that can you know you see him take a pump fake and within two dribbles he just slams the basketball he's just someone that looks like 
he's going to he's just committed i don't know how to like describe it. it's like when you watch him you kind of just see like this guy that's going all out that is going to do whatever it takes to get that final roster spot i think there's something endearing about it otherwise yeah he has played more as a four which i think would be a better position for him um he kind of he's trying to do a lot of things that Giannis was doing where it's like he's trying to do these weird steps to get to the rim he's trying to find a way to get to the basket primarily i haven't really seen him take any shot attempts outside of pretty much 10 feet from the hoop which is fine um defensively i think he's still a little like a half step behind or a little bit behind but i i from everything i've seen in the two games there's no reason for me to think that christian would shouldn't make the roster it's just really tough to tell just because he is competing with so many other players and it's not like he's absolutely dominating you know starters like in the oklahoma city game i know he was having a few struggles with patrick patterson but then in the second half he kind of seemed to turn it around it's he's just going to be someone that has he has the talent and he has you know that ambition that fans want to see it's just maybe we might be taking this love for christian wood a little bit higher than is warranted because he hasn't been you know he wasn't spectacular against chicago and for half of the oklahoma city game he wasn't spectacular either so i think we just need to maybe bring down our expectations of christian wood not thinking that he's going to be this like new savior this guy that they brought off the street but he definitely deserves to be on this roster yeah, and re- just real quickly before like, Mitchell pipes in is um, just Christian Wood in terms of in terms of outside shooting from what he's done so far. Oh, for one in both the Chicago game and the Thunder game, then the one game where he did get a couple off was he went one for three in that uh, Minnesota game in in Iowa. But um, shooting over to you, Mitchell, what what have you thought of Christian Wood so far? When I think of Christian Wood, he's an athletic big man who can move pretty well laterally can protect the rim despite his slight frame. Um, and he can stretch the floor. He, he shoots threes. He doesn't necessarily make them, but he does shoot them. Those five main things that I brought up apply to Wood equally as they do to another current Bucks player. I don't think it's too much of a mystery, but do either of you want to hazard a guess? Athletic big man who can move laterally, who can protect the rim, who will take shots without necessarily making shots from deep. Does he happen to to show up in big games late in the season? I was going to say, uh, like a maybe four times a year kind of thing. I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's where we're headed. We're headed towards Thonmaker Island, which uh, I don't know exactly the population of said island. But but those are, those are the things that I think of when I consider Christian Wood as an NBA player, and those are the things that Thonmaker is supposed to be. Um, but you know the one thing that Christian Wood can do? Well, uh, two things, technically, because uh, one leads directly to the other. Two things that Christian Wood can do that Thon Maker has not demonstrated he can do, he can catch the ball in traffic and finish. <laughs> there. Thon hasn't been able to do either of those things. So I'm at the point where, yeah, the, the hype train may be you know, a little off the rails and, and going out of control, but are we sure that Christian Wood isn't better at the type of basketball he plays than Thon Maker is. The fact that it's even a question is troubling for Thon and exciting for Christian Wood. Um, 
it would be silly because Thon does have still a ton of potential. It would be silly to give up on him so early when it's still under his rookie contract. But I do agree that in terms of the 15th roster spot, if you want a guy who can contribute, and maybe he's not necessarily going to start games for you, but he can fill valuable shifts against second units and he can give you a certain dynamism that you might not have with a more traditional big like Tyler Zeller. Um, I think that Christian Wood would provide a lot of benefits at that 15th roster spot for, I don't know, 40, 50 games, however many games he'd be active for, because he's at the very least, in my view, he's demonstrated the same type of proficiency that Thon has and then some. Interesting. I, I I think you I think you bring up a good point. Certain I think certainly offensively, absolutely finishing around the rim, he has significantly more touch than Thon does. Um, I, I I'm curious whether he has some of the passing chops that Bud wants out of his centers. I mean, clearly, I think Tyler Zeller and Brooke Lopez seem to have um, a step on him in that respect. But uh, yeah. you know, um, I, I'm curious because he, you know, I think he's probably forcing it a little bit too much this preseason. I think that definitely showed up in the Chicago game. Like Kyle was saying, it showed up early in that Oklahoma city game. I mean, the most impressive play for me, honestly, from Christian Wood was when he took Patrick Patterson like off the bounce and the Patrick Patterson, who is a huge man, just kind of bounced off of him. And Christian Wood was able to finish for an end one. That was probably the most impressive play I've seen from him so far. I, I have, sometimes I have a hard time, with some of these, uh, like the philosophical idea of what we should get out of watching these guys when they're in the context of not having stars. Like does the fact that Christian Wood is able to do that bode really well for him or is it, or is like that just like, cause that's like, clearly he's not going to be asked to do almost any of that kind of stuff in the regular season. He's going to be asked to more rim roll, try and protect the rim and do that kind of stuff. So, so sometimes I have trouble squaring away uh, some of those flashes that he shows like that. And it's always, I mean, obviously it's better that he does that than some of the, you know, stuff we've seen or we haven't seen from DJ Wilson and Thon maker. But uh, I, you know, sometimes I have a hard time figuring out whether how that's going to translate when he's actually, doing the kind of ideal role that bud probably envisions for sure yeah i I don't know exactly how it's going to translate but i'll tell you one thing i'm interested to find out Hmm. that's totally fair who do you guys uh kyle who do you think then i mean we're i think at this point we're probably all going to rule out shabazz muhammad for that last spot no way no yeah he's gone he's done okay all right so Moving on from there, let's say we have so it's it's basically Tyler Zeller, Christian Wood, and probably Tim Frazier for that last spot. So Kyle, who's like your leader in the clubhouse then after these these couple games? I think I would go with Christian Wood just because he's someone that there's still more that could be about him that we haven't seen, and maybe there's more that with a coaching staff they can unlock. While with Tim Frazier and Tyler Zeller, you kind of know what you have. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to go for that by like the low risk, high reward kind of player. And that's what Christian Wood would be. Mitchell, what about you? I'm inclined to agree. If we're just choosing between those three for a single roster spot, you know, the upside of Christian Wood becoming a rotation level player is enticing. You know, Tyler Zeller is probably like on the very, very low end of rotation level. Like he's good at some very specific things and he's reliable at those things, but the upside just isn't there. And same for Tim Frazier. Like I want to like him more. Um, the team needs 
frankly, I think oh, a little bit more depth at guard and the fact that we have so many bigs on the roster. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but more guards is better than less in my experience. But I, I don't get what makes Tim Frazier really stand out and he doesn't have a, you know, a guaranteed contract like Delhi does. So it's not like we're stuck with Tim Frazier. And you know, given the choice between all three, you know, Christian Wood has the upside, the other two don't. And at that point of the roster, if it's just the 15th spot, why not take a swing? Although I will say Tim Frazier is definitely someone that I would want as the team's third point guard. The only problem is the team's third point guard is Delhi, possibly, maybe Dante. And that's kind of the issue is there's already players that I think Bud believes oh, yeah. are the team's third point guard. I think Tim Frazier would be a great addition. Sure. But I just don't see how you can have him and Delhi and possibly Dante all as your team's quote-unquote third string point guard. Yeah, you're, you're, I would say you're correct in that assessment. And it's just the, the facts of the roster crunch is that you can only afford, you know, you can only afford that one spot unless you did something interesting. The summer 2016 is killing them. So I'll, I'll, I'll advocate just a little for Tyler Zeller here. I, I would probably go with wood, but I feel like, um, I, I don't know. I, I still have trouble squaring away if, if Christian would, how he's going to fit in Wonky's offense. I'd love to keep him around. I think some other team is probably going to like, if the bucks let him go, some other team would snap him up and try and take him on as a, as a project. I'm curious how long he'll remain in that sort of project role. Uh, and if, you know, if he doesn't work out this year, if he'll just bounce around to another team, but uh, I mean, Tyler Zeller has looked decent snapping threes. He has a little bit of experience shooting it under uh, in Brooklyn under Kenny Atkinson. I'm curious whether that relationship with Kenny Atkinson being a former Bud uh, assistant coach, I'm curious whether that might lead Bud to try and nudge, nudge them towards keeping Tyler Zeller. Um, just the conspiracy part of me is thinking that. And I mean, he also uh, like he made a couple, you know, he made a couple decent passes. He's like certainly just like like we said, he's just going to be solid. Uh, and maybe that's like what they want out of that position. It's like a dude who's just going to be solid, make the kind of passes and and you know passes and make an open shot once or twice a game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's like what they would prefer for this year. Maybe, but uh, I just wish is there some way that the team could keep both Tyler Zeller and Christian Wood because there's just so much to like about each of them. Oh, dream wow. EJ Wilson and Delhi for, you know, a second round pick and a non guaranteed contract ever happens. And sure, but I guess the only thing I'm wondering with Zeller is I can't think of anything that he does that the other, I mean, that Lopez, Don, and Henson can't do. Uh, just, he can set a screen for one. That's, an, that's hey. something that John Henson's bad at. And Thon, I don't like when, what screen is Thon? Thon set that's ever made a difference for the offense anyway zeller had some really nice exchanges with malcolm brogdon last night top of the arc they would he would brogdon would toss it to zeller zeller just sets up a really quick like quick screen on brogdon's guy brogdon whips into the paint and okc was just just hapless at trying to guard it if brogdon isn't able to make the layup he'll be able to pass out to the corner okc adjusted in the second half on that when they had their starters in but i mean those were some decent screens by zeller with you know passes he's basically doing exactly like what bud would ask out of his big men um so i think at this point it's it's going to be a, a very interesting interesting thing to see who they go with but mitchell professional podcaster that he is uh provided an excellent segue in thinking what if there was a way to keep both of them in fact keith smith 
um, writer at I think it's Real GM. Uh, but either way, uh, rep, reputable basketball writer last night tweeted about um, tweeted Chris quote Christian Wood is having another strong game for the Bucks. Sources tell me Wood has an inside track for one of Milwaukee's final roster spots. Sources also indicate DJ Wilson is on the roster bubble, either via trade or potential waiver if a trade can't be found. End quote. Which sort of sent a couple segments of Buck Buck's Twitter into uh, into a potential feeding frenzy there. So, what what were your, some of your first reactions, and do you think that's even something that might be viable uh, for the Bucks to be able to pull off, Mitchell? Uh, well, first you got to give Keith Smith a shout out. He is a contributor at Real GM. Also, okay. he's another SB Nationer over at Celtics Ooh. Blog. So, I have no love for the Celtics, but the SB Nation affiliate Celtics blog, they're okay. They do good. Yeah, they are. Shout out, Keith. Thank you. Um, but in terms of the ramifications of the team cutting last year's first-round pick for the roster spots, okay, I'm fine with it because that player hasn't really shown anything. The only thing we have to go off of with DJ Wilson is, I don't know, uh, maybe less than 100 minutes of unimpressive garbage time in the NBA and a couple hundred minutes of unimpressive actual time in the G League, and he's never really shown that one NBA average level skill that I asked him for a couple weeks ago. And, you know, it's not his fault that he, you know, tweaked a hamstring during the green and cream scrimmage a couple weeks back. Like, the injuries happen, but that's a reality for the sport and for life like stuff happens that's outside your control and can sometimes change the way that things shake out and dj wilson isn't showing me anything like i I asked the question before if we were sure that christian wood wasn't better than thon maker at certain basketball things but i don't think it's at all a contentious position to say that christian wood is better at nba basketball than dj wilson and ditto for tyler zeller and probably ditto for Tim Frazier. I'm not going to quite say that for Shabazz Muhammad, only because Shabazz Muhammad plays like they did in the 90s. And then, you know, that's fine. More power to you, Shabazz, but the game has passed you by. I just, there's no reason other than to maybe save face for John Horst to continue to invest anything into DJ Wilson. Like, if you're spending the money already, just wave the guy and get it over with and just, and just, let the sunk costs just slip away and wash your hands of it. That's what I would do. All right. So, so wanting to do it and like having the opinion that we should do it is one thing, but Kyle, do you think the books will actually want, I'm pretty dubious. They'll be able to pull off a trade, but do you think they will actually pull the trigger on cutting DJ Wilson? Honestly, I think so. I think with how Zeller played last night and how Christian Wood has played in the summer league at preseason, and even Tim Frazier, with how he did last night, I don't think he's going to be able to shoot four for five from three every night. But, you know, you just see three guys, and it's like they actually brought something that the Bucks need. And kind of like what Mitchell said, DJ Wilson hasn't shown us anything at all. So, and Mitchell's also saying maybe they keep DJ Wilson to save face, but wouldn't it be a better showing of saving face than to realize, okay, I screwed up? Let me rectify that wrong by getting rid of this less like this inferior player for guys that are more superior than him. I think that would be a better showing of saving face, at least in terms of the Bucks faithful. I mean, maybe throughout the league, they might question it, but in terms of trying to look like they're making the right decisions, I think waving DJ Wilson would be and should be the thing that they do. And I honestly think it'll happen. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it, it be, it's curious to think about the interplay then, whether it may be Bud is the guys like DJ Wilson is garbage. And then Horse is like, I mean, if I, if I was Horse, I would probably, I would have a hard time cutting DJ Wilson, just like thinking about if I was in that position. I mean, that was like your first real big thing that you did as, as a part of this, this Bucks team and having to like admit that you completely failed in that first large move after a single year, which is relatively unheard of in the NBA. I, that would be hard for me personally to do. Um, so if he is able to do that, that would be, I, I mean, that would be big of him. It would also make me wonder if, if Bud has a little more personnel control or say over than that kind of stuff than what we initially thought. We know he was a huge part of bringing in Ursan Ilyasova. Um, and so I, I don't know, that would make me think about that a little more in terms of Bud trying to shape the roster and how he wants, because that would clearly be an indict, like Horst would be indicting himself. Maybe, but also look at the upside of cutting bait on DJ Wilson. Like he hasn't provided any evidence that he's an NBA level player. So it's not like you're leaving a lot of potential. I, I guess from a technical perspective that he still has the potential to improve as a player, but right. just like I have the potential to improve as a player. So <laughs> I, at this point I, I'm, I'm only being mostly facetious when I compare myself to DJ Wilson and our NBA prospects, but the downside of cutting DJ Wilson just outright and getting rid of him and sending him packing is okay. We totally and utterly blew our first round pick last year. I mean, the team did the same thing with Rashad Vaughn. The team may have possibly done the same thing with Thon. I'm hopeful that it hasn't. My faith has definitely been challenged for Thon. You know, Dante, it's been, you know, it's been way too, uh, not nearly enough time, rather, for him. Um, the, the, number two, the number two pick for Jabari Parker ended up being a complete zero, which... There were a ton of things at play that are not necessarily anybody that's actively with the organization's fault. That's not Jamari's fault. You want to blame somebody, you can probably blame Jason Kidd because he's an easy scapegoat. But there's more than even just him that made Jamari Parker's departure, you know, all the more disappointing. So, but yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, to be said for keeping the guy because he could improve and he was a first round pick. But you know, we did that. We traded Tyler Zeller for a previous first round pick that had a ton of room to improve, right? And instead of DJ Wilson, who's not going to contribute and not going to give you anything that your team needs, you could keep Tyler Zeller, who is going to contribute and is going to give you what your team needs, or Christian Wood, who could contribute and has that upside to actually to significantly improve for a lot lower cost than DJ Wilson. It's it's like yeah you do lose face a little bit but the gains alone cancel that out in my view. Well, and also I was going to say Rashad Vaughn was at least young where you thought okay he's still really really young and maybe he could turn it around. And that's kind of not the case with DJ Wilson. He's I mean he's like what 22 23 years old. He's not young. So it's not like there's really more for him to grow. It's not like he was a raw prospect. He is what he is. So it's kind of tougher to hold on on it, maybe thinking, yeah, he'll turn it around. You know, if it was like, even I'm just thinking like Ben Macklemore, someone like that, where it's like, you can see what's there and they're still young and maybe they'll turn it around. But with DJ Wilson, he's, I think he's just too old to be, you know, to be like someone that can say, yeah, he can turn it around. He's still pretty young. Yep. All fair points for what, for what it's worth. I would 
get rid of DJ Wilson too. I just doubt, I doubt he's going to be useful at all. So I think the team should, should move on. But I, so we're heading into the last preseason game. It'll take place on Friday at the Pfizer forum. So won't be podcasting before the regular season starts. So I just want to do a couple quick hitters and, and lingering questions I had before the season started. So the first one is I was thinking about the 76ers. Actually, well, I live in Philadelphia, so I, I, I hear about the 76ers. I listen to them a little bit more often than I would like. But I was thinking about them having, picking up Marco Bellinelli and our son Ilyasova last year and going on that huge run in the second half of the season. I know they faced some poor teams, but um, it's starting to make me think about how that first game got us all excited with the lineup with like Bledsoe and Middleton and Giannis and Urson and Brooke. And I, I started to wonder, it seemed like like two pivotal pieces from those guys are old guys. One had a history of injury, not for the last couple of years. Um, one's only on a one-year contract. I, I'm just questioning how, um, if if having relying on those two as potential key cogs in our, our offensive and defensive system is going to be sustainable over a full season. What do you think, Mitchell? Well, specifically when we think about Ursan Ilyasova and Brooke Lopez and whether relying on them is sustainable, like it, when you zoom out and you take the macro view, I actually think it is. Um, they're, you know, they might miss time. They're older. They're more susceptible to those nagging injuries that can, you know, siphon away 10, 12, 15 games out of a year or more. But if that's the case, you know, if one of them goes down, the other one's still there. And if both of them go down, you're still in a position where you have John Henson, Thon Maker, hypothetically Tyler Zeller and or Christian Wood. Like there's depth there at the big positions. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, relying on them is a problem because the team has depth now. It's one of the things we've been talking about the most is, you know, it's not just a one through six team. It's a one through nine or 10 team now. And I just I don't I don't necessarily fear the specter of a nagging injury taking Brooke Lopez out for you know a 15 game stretch in the middle of January and February as much as I otherwise would because there's other guys there that as crazy as it is to say when it relates to John Henson and Tom Maker but I think in those stretches I think they can be relied upon. Yeah, it makes me think back to it, last year. I felt like the team was really missing someone who could come in and replace Giannis in a reliable way. Like uh, Mirza Televich, I really think they missed missed him pretty badly last year, having a reliable four who could come in. And Arasan's a little more flexible than Mirza was. And then Lopez, same thing, sort of pushes John Henson into a more sustainable role for for his potential maximum output. So, But what about you, Kyle? What do you think about those two sort of being uh, large fulcrums of, of, of this team? I wouldn't want them to be large fulcrums of the team. I'm still a little bit concerned just because of, especially Lopez's injury history. And I think it's one of those where, you know, these guys are brought in for specific roles. You know, Ursan is going to come in and be the backup four. And if needed, he can come in if they want to do Giannis at the five lineups. Lopez is there because we don't know what, to make of Don Maker, and we don't know if Tyler Zeller is going to be on this roster, and then that kind of leaves you with John Henson, the only known quantity, and we've already seen the ceiling with that. So I think it's just a little... Or have we? No, we haven't. <laughs> let's, again, let's 30% threes. <laughs> I think we've seen it. But it just kind of leaves me a tad concerned. I'm, I don't want to like hitch the horses on those two 
as being key cogs on the team's success. I think they can be tremendous role players. I think they can, you know, contribute when they need to, but I don't want to think that, you know, if one of them were to suffer an injury, then that's the end of it. I know Mitchell is mentioning the depth, but, you know, until we kind of see how this roster turns out and how the team plays, I, I don't know if I would want to rely on those two as, you know, sustainable or key players. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think Bud, I mean, Bud clearly has a lot better feel for making sure his managing his players' minutes, making sure that they feel more comfortable and taking care of their bodies. I mean, reading the interview with with Chris Middleton on CBS Sports this week and just being reminded about the fact that he was like, yeah, that's the first time in seven years I've been able to walk after a practice or whatever. It's just like, whoa, Jesus. Um, but uh, okay, so I want to move on to my second question here. And we talked about him in whispers thus far. But I think it's time to have a, a little bit of Dante discussion. So the, the the curious thing for me heading into this year is I was uh, Mitchell and I were both banging the Snell gong. I mean, we were I, I we both I think we both put our chips all in on Tony Snell early. I'll speak for myself. I feel like we both did. But oh, no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, partner. OK, OK, good. So so I feel like we both put all our chips in on Tony Snell. And the first two games, what's seemed to stand out most to me is the fact that he seems like a weirder fit way weirder fit than what i thought uh because it seems like budenholzer that takes that shooting dribbling passing edict that they've said all summer super super to heart and tony snell can't really do two of those in a super effective way uh obviously he can shoot but i'm curious whether he has some of the other type of skills that bud is looking for and dante has certainly gotten the minutes at least in the preseason over tony snell so kyle what have you sort of taken away from these first couple games where it seems like dante maybe this is just preseason just you know bud trying to throw him in but what have you kind of taken away from tony from tony snell maybe taking a small backseat to dante in the early stages well as the founding member of the new isle of white dante i'm going to say he's been i'd say good not great yes the shot can still be falling Yes, he can do better in terms of, you know, staying under control for layups. But just from what I've seen, he seems to be someone that when the ball's in his hands, he knows what he's going to do. He can make the passes that he needs to. He can get to the hoop when he needs to and get a driving kick. Um, It's not like his shots that he's taken are bad shots. They just aren't falling. And, you know, you can fix shots that aren't falling. And in terms of with Dante, it's like kind of like what I'm trying to say is, when he has the ball in his hand, you, he can do something else with it if his shot isn't falling. And I can't say the same about Tony Snell. I kind of feel like with Snell, if he's not getting a shot, it's going to be really hard to justify him being on the court. And I don't know if there's other things that Tony Snell has in his arsenal. but it, And I want him to do well. But if his shot's not falling, then why play him over you know Dante or even Sterling Brown or Pat Connaughton, who – pretty much does the same thing that Snell does, but right now is hitting his shots more than Snell is. So I think, at least with Dante, he seems to be able to do other things with the ball in his hand that Snell can't do. No, and that really does get to the heart of things. If you asked me a week ago, I probably would have still been standing very hard for Tony Snell, but you, you hit right uh, the nail on the head. The fact that Dante does appear to be, at the very least, competent, with the ball in his hands. And he does seem to be able to make passes. He does seem to be able to at least 
create some space on the dribble. Sure, his shot isn't falling. It's way too early to tell if any of this stuff is real. But with Tony Snell, what we do know is that his shooting is real. He's you know a 40% plus shooter for the last couple of seasons, so he can shoot, but he's not a dribbler. His handle is nothing to write home about. Like He's got a couple, a handful of hand, uh, straight line drives to the rim that I can remember, but they were all surprises. And as a passer, like he's, he's just going to swing the ball around the arc. He's not really going to pass the ball consistently anywhere else. And that's the sort of thing that Mike Budenholzer appears to really, really want. And like we know that Malcolm Brogdon can do those things. We know that even Matthew Delvadova, like he's a competent dribbler. He's a competent passer. He's a competent shooter. You know, he's not good, but he's just good enough to stick around an NBA roster. Where it was Tony Snell, like he's a good shooter. Tony Snell is better at shooting right now than Dante DiVincenzo is better at anything. But Dante DiVincenzo is a rookie who's only played in a handful of preseason games and has a ton of room to improve and establish himself as an NBA player. So it's it's I'm in a weird purgatory with Tony Snell. I'm still a believer. I still think that if he becomes the new Bucks version of Mirza Toledovic and just lets it fly every single time he has a sliver of space to shoot, that that's the best way for him to earn his checks and for him to make a positive impact. He's also a decent defender too, which Dante, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to say anything about Dante's preseason defense because it's preseason defense, but I, I, the snow offers enough where I still believe that he should be relied upon. But I agree that Dante just has that more well-rounded game that seems to really fit with Budenholzer's vision. I'm still I'm still going to stand for Snell. I literally this what we said what we've said for years and maybe this is this is just we've with we, this at this point he's like a professional basketball player so maybe we shouldn't put this much stock in this but it's that Tony Snell seems to have confidence issues. And if you tell me what I think after these first couple games it's that Budenholzer doesn't have a ton of confidence in Tony Snell. I he has already played him behind a rookie. I think if he really wanted to be like, "Hey Tony Snell, hey Snell, you're my man. I know Brogdon's in the starting lineup, but you're going to be the first guy off the bench. You're going to take his spot. And that has not been the case so far. And so I question how that's going to mess with Tony's head. Uh, I mean, he seems like a guy who is, you know, he's obviously he works really hard and everything. Everyone talks about that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I mean, I hope that he's able to maintain a sense of confidence because I think he needs that to be able to become the kind of volume shooter that Mitchell and I both would want him to be, to be optimized in this offense. I think he still certainly has a role. I mean that honestly, the Giannis just handing off to Tony Snell is what probably one of my favorite plays the Bucks have. They ran it the other day in one of these preseason games and it gets Tony Snell a wide open shot. Uh, I think Marcus Johnson commented on how his release is a little more compact this year. And it, it, that's all he should have to do. And I think that still makes for a very valuable player as long as his defense is is up to snuff and everything. And even in Bud's system, I feel like there has to be a place for a guy who's just willing to shoot the lights out whenever he can. And he's a 40% shooter on decent volume over two years. He's only gotten better as his volume has gone up. So I, I really feel like Tony Snell is in sort of a precarious place right now. And granted that me saying that is definitely an overreaction to a couple games, but I, I'm really curious to see how this plays out when the regular season comes around. Because Dante is certainly seems to be showing the kind of stuff that Budenholzer prefers out of his out of his guards. All right, let's move on to 
last lingering question I have. I have more, but this is going to be the last one. Is the hype train out of control for this team after one preseason game of <laughs> offensive basketball? I just, so it sounded ridiculous just coming out of my mouth. I, it's, it just was literally like everyone, and I was having an awesome time too. I love being positive. It was just Bucks Twitter was just such a wondrous place that night. I, I haven't felt that gleeful in a while. Uh, and you know, and then a lot of pieces came out about bucks right after that. I mean, Kevin O'Connor had like a big piece on the ringer and all this optimism is just floating around the team. So Mitchell is the, is the train, should the train keep going? Should the conductor just keep speeding up or, or, or should we try and slow down a little here? I mean, in for a penny, in for a pound, if you're going to commit, <laughs> commit to the bit. But if we're, if we're looking at things objectively, yes, the hype train is absolutely out of control. The team still hasn't proven anything. And I think they know that. I know that was one of the things that they were lampooned for last year. Uh, well, Jason Kidd specifically, because all of the preseason predictions of going for 50 wins and then he going around, oh, maybe expectations were a little bit high. Like, you helped set those <laughs> expectations. Come on. We have the tape. Um, as, as one of the last people to jump ship from the SS Kid. Is just like don't don't lie, don't lie. Be a professional. Come up with something else. Anyway, I've still got a lot of angst about being so very very wrong, fundamentally wrong about Jason Kidd as a coach. But hey, nobody gets them all right. Uh, as it when we look forward to the future, the fact that the team hasn't proven anything yet, like the, the first 10, 15 games are really going to say a lot about who this team is and what they can be. I think that they will be good. I think they will be very good. I think they will win 50-plus games. I think they will win their first-round playoff series. I don't know what they're going to do beyond that. And I think that expecting them to be able to hang with Boston, who has a ton of higher-end talent, I would, I would definitely put Milwaukee's depth as a potential strength to counter that talent. But, you know, Boston's starting five is very good, if not great. Uh, Philly has two near superstars. I mean, Joel Embiid's a superstar. Ben Simmons, less so. But they, they, Philly's got a good thing going on. Toronto has Kawhi now. Like, there's more than enough competition out there that the Bucks haven't faced. Like, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit if we're being objective. Now, if you guys want to have fun, you know, finals all the way. Let's, let's talk about Milwaukee taking down the big bad Golden State Warriors. Let's have let's have that conversation right now because it's just preseason. This is what we do. We go way out of control, uh, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But uh, but hey, the season's going to start in what a week, so we gotta we gotta be careful. All right, Kyle Mitchell doesn't want to have fun, but then he also wants to have fun. What do you want to do? You want to have fun? Oh, I'm I'm conducting this train. <laughs> I have said that. <laughs> This team, I think this team could make the Eastern Conference Finals. And that was without seeing any gameplay, without seeing any scheme, without seeing anyone on the roster. That was just going with what I knew about this team, the talent on this team, and just having a better coach. Now that I've seen this team with a better coach and a scheme and an offense that is actually modern, and I'm sure the defense will somewhat work itself out, but hell, if the defense is even 15th, but the offense is top five, yeah, I'm going to put my train – I'm really going to ride this train until it completely falls apart. And I don't know when it's going to fall apart, but I 
I was already confident in this team going into the preseason and now just seeing how good they can be. I think that, yeah, I'm going to jump on this train, conduct it, make all the stops, grab people on the way. I don't care. Probably <laughs> tickets if I have to. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, in terms of competing against Boston, it's going to be tough, but yeah, Boston's a more talented team, but that doesn't mean Milwaukee can't you know, match up with them. They might not win the series, but there's no reason why all it takes is one bad shooting day or a freak injury for Milwaukee to jump right ahead of them. I think Milwaukee, in terms of against Philly, yeah, Philly has Embiid and they have Ben Simmons, but, you know, is Fultz going to be that good? Is Sarge going to continue doing that? Covington is a really good player. You know, it's like Philly has players, but it's not like anyone besides Embiid and Simmons that I truly am afraid of. And Toronto, I mean, yeah, they have Kawhi, but I mean, I think Giannis is better than Kawhi. And then after that, it's Kyle Lowry and a lot of guys that, you know, help their depth. But again, no one that 100% jumps out and terrifies me. And then you just look at the rest of the Houston Conference, like Indiana, yeah, they have Old Depot, but that's it. You see Washington and Washington's once again talk about how everyone's sleeping on them, which... I feel like we've heard that for the past six years and nothing's happened. But they've got Dwight Howard now, Kyle. Yeah. Dwight Howard is the solution to their problems. Dwight Howard on your team. Yeah, nothing goes wrong. Your team definitely <laughs> doesn't have, you know, preseason expectation of making the playoffs and then not make it with Dwight Howard. So you have that. Miami with Jimmy Butler might be intriguing, but otherwise, I'm going to commit to this train. I'm already conducting it and it's leaving the Madison station in a week. And anyone that wants to join, I'm going to make a countrywide tour and I'll find a way to connect into the world. I will toss one tiny charitable uh, lump of coal into the boiler for your hype train. Good. I'm going to need it. If Mike Budenholzer was hired as the Bucks coach at the beginning of the playoffs last year, I absolutely believe that they would have beat Boston for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Like I, th- I think that with that little time, like the improvements he's made over the offseason, like I, I do think that he's going to make that big of a difference. I think uh, I, I, I'm probably more in like a like a hype huh, Honda Fit, so I'm going along with a little. Can that even be a thing? It's so economical. <laughs> so, so maybe going along at a slightly slower pace, but. Uh, I guess at this point, I'm just enjoying the fact that watching a Bucks game hasn't felt like a slow trudge towards the mediocrity, like the boringness of mediocrity. And like, we're just going to like, we're screwing everything up. Uh, it's really nice to watch some beautiful basketball and feel like we're building towards something that might lead to uh, the type of stuff that we've been hoping for for years from this team. This is the first time I've actually felt like there could be a possibility of us achieving those type of feats. So for now, I'm just kind of enjoying what Budenholzer has brought to the team. So I'll, um, I'll, I'll stay in my, my uh, economic vehicle for now and, and, and trudge alongside while you're outpacing me by miles, Kyle. Um, all right. So I want to, let's finish this thing up with a quick chat. So the bucks obviously finish up their preseason game on preseason on Friday against the Timberwolves. And uh, I, you know, I, I, if the starters don't play, there's not a whole lot that I'm super looking for in that game. But uh, I think I'm just going to leave this as an open forum for you guys to just go in on this Jimmy Butler T Wolf stuff. So oh, I'll, 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 let me just open. Well, Mitchell, you can go for oh, I cannot remember 
the last story involving a player, an active player, that put me into such fits of giggling disbelief. Jimmy Butler, not only did he demand a trade weeks ago because he couldn't coexist with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, which honestly, given my opinion of both Cat and Wiggins, I don't really blame him, but I'm more cynical on those two than most. So he demands the trade. He doesn't get it. Ownership gets involved. Ownership mucks it all up. And it's just this huge mess. And he's obviously their best player, even if Cat is the future. And then he decides, like, you know what? I'm going to go to practice. And I'm not just going to go to practice. I'm going to wreck everybody's shit at practice. And I'm going to take the third stringers and beat the starters while loudly cursing everybody out before storming out right at noon and then setting up a previously arranged interview with ESPN so I can talk about it and tell everybody about how big of a competitor I was. It's so wild to me. So wild. I cannot... The only thing that made me laugh this much was the Brian Colangelo Twitter burner thing. I don't even know if I laughed at that as much as I just sat there like, this isn't actually happening. This seems <laughs> made up. Like in NBA 2K18, there's literally a story about the assistant yeah. GM using a burner account. I was like, this seems made up. <laughs> I mean, it's, 20, it's 2018. That's what, that's what this year is all about is the, the stories that are too crazy to be true. True. But I thought about it. I was like, you know, Jimmy Butler wants to leave for basically saying, I don't want to play with Cat and Wiggins. And, you know, not wanting to play with Wiggins, I'm slowly I, – I understand – Everyone has said since he was in Kansas, if he actually tried, he could be really, really good. But he hasn't. It's not that good. It's just uh, not. Someone like Jimmy Butler can hate that. And then you see Pat as someone that, in terms of talent, is probably one of the most talented players in the league. But, you know, he's staying up till 4 a.m. playing Fortnite. He, I think last night, was saying he was playing Call of Duty with Juju Smith-Schuster. So, you know, you kind of see if Jimmy Butler's seeing that, it's like, I don't want to deal with this shit. And then he's thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to be on this team. But of course, Tibbs is striking on every deal. And Jimmy deciding to go to practice, I thought was the most ridiculous thing in the world. Cause I was like, out of all the days, why not wait till like the day before the season? But okay, fine, go now. And then he yell at everyone there, which, okay, I guess. But the fact that I think the funniest part was Walsh was tweeting it, making it seem like this was a positive thing for the Tim Wolves. Like, <laughs> he's making this like great for the team. Like, go Jimmy. They and, were mesmerized. They were entranced. Everyone else was like, this is a mess. This is a disaster. This Everything that could have gone wrong with Jimmy showing up did. And I think that was one of the more things that I it's laughed so at. so wild. It like, it's so oh, wild. Walsh made it look like this was a fine thing, and yet everyone else is like, no, this is really bad. I don't know what Jimmy is trying to get out of it with this whole – I mean, yeah, he wants to get traded, but Minnesota's not going to get that much more from him after this little tirade that he had. I, I highly think doubt it. Like, yeah, we don't want to trade for this. We're not going to give up as much. So this is going to be an interesting week, I think. I think Jimmy will get traded by the end of this month, but I think the season—I think he might still be on the Timberwolves roster by the beginning of the season. I mean, it's just—it's—I feel bad for Minnesota fans, I guess, because their franchise is imploding again. You know, I mean, yeah, Cat signed the extension, so that's cool. Um, I, I don't know—he still doesn't really play defense. 
Tibbs's pride and refusal to like use whatever precious little leverage Minnesota has is mind boggling. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing over there, but with 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 all of the everything that can be said about how it was staged, and you know Jimmy is just doing this to you know force his way out, and you know of course he planned on coming to practice and making a huge scene, and then doing the interview with ESPN right after. Like, yeah, that's all well and good, and it makes it slightly less cool, if not maybe more or less cool. That's a weird way to phrase those words, but it's a good thing I'm not uh, I'm not involved in writing words. <laughs> but um, but the, the fact of the matter is that Jimmy Butler still, t- according to Amin Al Hassan, still took the scrubs and beat the starters while loudly and vociferously berating everybody else on the court in the building. That will never not be funny to me. And I'm certainly not going to trade anything for him right now. Not nothing of value, but I hope somebody does because it's just what else are you supposed to do? Does that mean is that more like a great thing for Jimmy Butler that he led these scrubs to beat the stars, or is that just awful? Oh, it's it's abs- it's absolutely good for Jimmy Butler. I mean, oh, I think it's horrible for the stars that the fact that Jimmy could just come in, not practice all year, bring in a bunch of scrubs, and still beat you. That that's not a positive. I don't decide uh, going into the season. Yeah, we, we people have like, like Tyus. Yeah, people have liked Tyus Jones for a while. Yeah, neat. It's it's almost like the guy <laughs> they just signed for like what the hundred ninety million dollars. Their giant center who can shoot oh, threes and do it like not going to be censored. So. And didn't and didn't and Andrew Wiggins got a max contract, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So two, they got in. two max players, two max players on the start in the starting lineup, and Jimmy Butler comes in and just suns them like it's nothing. Like ooh ooh. Actually, I'm gonna change my vote. That is worse for the Wolves starters. That's ugh. It's, it's gotta a, be because like, I mean, you think of the Wolves starters without Jimmy. It's like Teague, Wiggins. Um, I don't know, between Okogi and Kaida Bates Diop, Taj Gibson and Carl Anthony Towns, and that loses to Jimmy Butler and a bunch of scrubs and maybe Tyus Jones, who I still hate with a burning passion. <laughs> not great. Not great. Not great. Oh man. If it, it feels good to not have a dumpster fire of an organization. Anymore. Anymore. <laughs> not great for the Wolves. Uh obviously Jimmy Butler. Tough. We probably won't see him on Friday. It looks like, check the game notes. He's recovering from an off-season procedure on his right hand, and he won't uh, play. Yeah, so, I mean, hey, that's you, you got to put your health first. It's so yeah. important to get your body right. <laughs> uh, totally true. Well, what is great is that we're going to have regular season basketball to talk about the next time we hop on this pod. That's I just cannot wait to get a lot of starters times and uh, actually break down some meaningful basketball. So, uh kyle and mitchell uh why don't you each um give out your your twitter handles respectively so we can get those those followers up uh and especially follow make sure to follow at brew hoop which kyle is the thumbs behind as well i'll let mitchell go first what you just said why would you not go first you started talking fine i'll do it (laughs) if you want my sporadic and often bad tweets you can just search for at mitchell underscore nba and for myself, I am Kyle Koche, if you like Bucks tweets, but then also want to dabble in me hating the Packers and soccer, I'm your person. 
and I'm uh, like ludicrously sporadic, pretty much just only tweet like out in sporadic article and the podcast going to, you know, October resolution is to get those tweets back in order. So uh, I'm at Adam R. Paris. You can follow me there. You should check out all of our stuff on brewhoop.com. We got some season preview stuff that I'm sure we'll be running. Um, still running my serious cal- calculated countdown, bunch of different stats from last year. Looking forward to this next year. Uh, Mitchell and Kyle's stuff always just popping up on the site wherever. So make sure to stay tuned to the website. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review and a rating. We have some ratings. I didn't even realize that, but they're all five stars. So whoever you are that leave left those ratings, thank you so, so much. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you again soon. Oh,